fall in love with the problem. Don't fall in love with your idea. Because if you fall in love with the problem, you're going to be willing to adapt and listen to the market. But if you fall in love with your, your solution or your idea, you might be blindly heading in a, toward a trajectory that's not necessarily what the market needs or wants. Welcome to the Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. This is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and performance coach. Every year, Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week, I bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B, to entrepreneurs with companies like DoorDash, Instagram, and YouTube, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Level up. Welcome to Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. She is the co-founder and CEO of the mobile and web app, Space Basic. The app is a platform to manage hostels and student housing matters, including attendance, payments, and room allotment. Since launching in 2017, Space Basic quickly grew from 6,000 users to 200,000 users last year and is targeting 1 million users this year. In 2019, she was named as one of the top 60 women transforming India by the Indian government and the United Nations. Please welcome Madhavi. Hi, thank you for having me, Phil. Very excited to have you here. Welcome. It is my pleasure and my honor. I'm very excited to learn more about your business and share it with the audience. But before we do, where were you when you found out you made the Forbes list? I was um, quarantining at home <laughs> when when I found out that, um, you know, I made it to the Forbes list. Um, I mean, um, ideally, I thought, you know, it's, it, it, you know, ideally, I would have liked to probably celebrate that. But um, I think um, just making it uh, to the list was good enough for me to kind of, you know, celebrate it with, at home with, with family. But yeah, I was definitely at home. Who was the quarantine. first person you shared it with? <laughs> I was my dad because I'm sure he's heard me say I, I you know the word Forbes 30 and the 30 a million times <laughs> so <laughs> I, I it was just a reflex for me to kind of go and um, let him know I mean that must have been a, such a proud moment not only for you but your for your family as well how did your dad take it um he was very excited for me and um, definitely I mean this is something that I'm always kind of like you know um, wanted uh, to have that ticked off um, since I became an entrepreneur. And I think most entrepreneurs definitely something on a bucket list. But um, quite frankly, you know, for, for me to have made, uh, made it to um, the Asia list, um, it was really a reminder that, um, you know, anything is possible with, with hard work and grit. And it was just one of the reminders of why um, I really started Space Basic and the entire journey really like flashed, um, you know, had a, a quick moment of that. Um, when I um, saw my name there um, on the list, it was it was it was a, a great feeling. It's a rewarding moment, a great feeling, a validating feeling. Like, wow, this is actually working, and it's getting recognized by those at the top. Take us back to the very beginning, where you're from, where you grew up, and the path that led you to where you are now, ultimately making it to right. the list. Mm-hmm. So um, I grew up in Bangalore. Um, I did my schooling here, born and brought up 
and um, I moved overseas. I moved to Australia to, uh, you know, further my education after my bachelor's of engineering. So um, I was in Sydney for about four and a half, five years. So I studied there and I worked for an early stage startup there as well. Um, and I think I was like third employee to, to, to be hired and just working for a startup in a fast um, paced environment and really having that experience and exposure. Um, you know, the company I worked for quickly grew to over, um, you know, 60, 70 people team in a span of four years. And I, I you know, um, kind of ended up um, working different roles and I really enjoyed the process. And I think that's where my love for startups really began. That's actually a great tip of advice for those that are thinking about starting their own company, starting their own business, try to work for another startup, another business that might be going through some of the challenges you'll face on your own. It's a great learning experience. Can you walk us through maybe one of, one of the things you learned that helped you take it to, the, to your business? Sure, um, I think um, culture. Um, something, you know, for me, that was my first job. So I started as a front desk receptionist. Um, then I kind of uh, did, uh, you know, was taking care of IT support. And, you know, finally, um, I was product manager of the Asia Pacific region. So I kind of transitioned really uh, into some, you know, something that I liked to do. And um, having said that, um, I think, um, Something that really stuck to me was just mentorship was, um, you know, uh, having that culture where it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to do more than what your role, um, you know, as you're supposed to. Um, and, and I think most, I think what I see in general is people are very, um, uh, are very kind of closed off when it comes to, hey, that's out of my pay grade, you know? Um, I think that kind of closes you off from opportunities. And I think that's something that um, I try to kind of, um, you know, tell uh, the people who work at Space Basic as well, um, you know, um, that it's, it's the culture and experiencing different things and kind of really um, embracing it and not treating it as uh, boundary driven. I think that has definitely kind of helped me see through. That's a great point. You can't just say, oh, that's not my job or Correct. Yeah. that's not what I'm <laughs> supposed to be doing. That's your job in a startup you need to be all things at all times, whatever's needed at that moment, everybody needs to put a hand in it and get to work. And it sounds like you were able to learn that on your, um, the first company you worked at. And how did you transition to your own company? How did you come up with that idea? What, what happened after you left that company? So, um, you know, when I was there on, um, four and a half years, um, I kind of, I kind of had this, um, urge to start a company and um, I didn't know what it was I didn't know what I'm going to do but I just knew that I wanted to start something on my own so what I did was um, I was I was on, uh, on a trip uh, to the U.S. and I was introduced to a successful uh, woman entrepreneur in the Bay Area and I was going to be there for a couple of days so I wrote into her and um, asked her if I can I can meet with her and a five-hour conversation kind of ended up um, you know, uh, with us being co-founders and starting Space Basic. So um, <laughs> that was probably wow. a very well, yeah, um, good defining um, moment for me. And just with her kind of, we wanted, so she wanted to do something in the education space. I did too, but I didn't know what a problem I'll be solving exactly. Um, as an international student in Australia, 
I could draw a very clear differentiation between the quality of education and services there versus what I was used to when I lived in India. So, um, I mean, that problem had to be solved. So, um, you know, that's something that we, that was uh, in the back of my head and um, she was, um, you know, on board the same thing. And we were both of Indian origin and we kind of wanted to give back uh, and contribute, um, you know, and the Indian uh, uh, startup ecosystem uh, was was, uh, coming up and about. Uh, This was 2016, 2017. And we really wanted to be there and we really wanted to kind of, um, you know, help with the social and economic growth besides uh, just starting a company there so i i she said hey i would do this with you and i'm like okay and i packed went back to australia packed my bags and i was in i was in bangalore in about two weeks wow so you went from a five-hour <laughs> conversation to starting your own company with someone you just met mm-hmm. i mean what I, did- I knew it i mean i think uh, the gut feeling um as a trade is so underrated because as entrepreneurs, um, most of the time we're making gut-driven decisions, not so much data-driven uh, driven decisions, at mm. least initially, you know. Um, I mean, tell me why uh, a, a, a right reason to live a job that pays you really well, um, you know, come back from, from a country like that and start something when we know, and you don't even know what you're going to do. Like, what are you going, what problem are you going to solve? Um, so I think gut decisions are actually very underrated. So what, that's so true. I mean, getting better at listening to your gut is great advice. We make so many subconscious decisions because Absolutely. we simply don't have the data. So we need to make quick decisions, uninformed decisions sometimes, and we have to go with our gut. And for you, it sounds like mm-hmm. it felt right. What, what was the first thing you did after you so, got back to Bangalore? Um, mm-hmm. So once I got back to Bangalore, what I did was um, I, I started um, you know, researching a little bit more about the space. Um, I think my, uh, our due diligence was very thorough and I'm very proud of that because I think that's how we really reached to um, solving a problem, a real problem part of it. Um, so I would have spoken to at least um, a few hundred people um, you know, in, in this ecosystem to really understand what problem we'll be solving. And we quickly understood that there definitely was a gap in terms of um, op- ops and management within, within student housing communities and hostels, as we call it here in India, university student housing communities. So uh, e- um, even a, a very well-known institution uh, would uh, follow the same manual processes as maybe that of a not so well um, known, um, you know, educational institution. What, it could be a school, college, so on and so forth. So we saw that to be a persistent trend there. And, um, I, and we kind of knew that we had, I mean, that, that was not addressed. Um, so we built a prototype in, um, in 2017, um, after about seven to eight months of due diligence, built a prototype, picked three pilot customers, worked very, very closely with them and built a prototype. And um, they are still our paying customers today, three years later. It's amazing. And, and for I those think- listening, just so you know, they help university housing be managed through an app rather than using an antiquated manual process of maybe handwritten details and having a lot of staff members in person managing it. It sounds like, can you share with the audience 
more about how it actually works uh, because I know they're going to benefit from hearing this, especially if there's a, a someone in charge of administration at a university. How does it work? Sure. So um, a usual, let me walk you through a usual day in a student housing community, right? So student um, wakes up, um, goes for breakfast. Um, you know, in India, usually they have to check in via maybe a signature in a book or maybe verbally. Um, after which they usually check in at the gate to go to university, attend class, um, come back again, check in. Um, if they have any, um, you know, uh, issues or maintenance requests that they have to, um, you know, kind of lodge, it's done usually via verbally or written in, in a book. Um, or, you know, it's pretty ad, ad hoc. Um, and let's say at end of day, there's usually a head count as to how if are all the students in or are they... And these could be thousands of students. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like 3,000, 6,000, you know, so they are a little more stringent with women in terms of safety. So the the end of day headcount is pretty important for them. So um, usually what happens is um, the person in charge has to go to every room and check in or the students would have to come to the person in charge and check in. So either, either way, as you see, it's pretty tedious. Or they would do a biometric check-in, you know, or a facial recognition check-in, but that's very um, rarely checked because they're so different, de different devices, different platforms, so on and so forth. That's an average day. What we do is uh, with Space Basic, they check in on their mobile phones when they go for breakfast. It's a QR code, um, you know, that way, uh, when we're at the gate again, it's it's a digital check-in QR code or a facial. We integrate with the with IoT, so it could be facial rec or it, it could be biometrics, so on and so forth. Um, you know, they get to raise um, you know any sort of maintenance requests, housekeeping requests, so on and so forth from their room by just clicking a picture saying, "Hey, you guys need to come and fix this," and that follows its own SLA. Um, you know, and headcount, things like that, it, it could be, uh, it's integrated with IoT, or it could be via the app itself, the student checks in and, and you know, um, somebody kind of confirms that via the application. So usually something that's about two hours is kind of about two minutes or, or maximum five minutes. Wow. So, <laughs> You're yeah. saving them a lot of time. You're also making sure the students are safe at all times. So they have to scan the QR code. That's similar in the U.S., uh, we, we live in a high rise and the security guard to prove that the security guard is going around and doing their checks. They have to scan their device at specific locations by a certain time. And it sounds similar to this where the students right. come in, they scan the QR code. You now have the data of which students have arrived rather than having to do this in person or written. This sounds like a no brainer. Why is Correct. every university? And another thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. go ahead. Another thing, sorry, I, I want to add here is what I, uh, I, one thing that I really like about this is the fact that we're able to save wastage with food because we have the activity of the student. We're able to analyze trends based on how many people really come for breakfast or lunch or dinner uh, and people, how many check, you know, how many of them really check in. We're able to analyze this trend and really give out accurate results versus how much they usually end up cooking and wasting. So, um, you know, um, I think with this and um, wasting, I mean, uh, saving food, that, that's really important to us. And, and we're really glad to, you know, be able to uh, reduce wastage in very critical ways.
Amazing. Yeah. With the data, you're able to see patterns and trends and able to change, make informed decisions now about how much food do we need to supply the cafeteria with because X amount of people are coming for breakfast. It's genius. It's a no brainer. So you started with, you started doing customer validation, which I love. You started identifying, you know, what is the problem? Is this a big enough problem? And what are the variables within that problem before you even started building something? You fir- right. I love this because a lot of people start building something and then find out if it's a real problem or not. You did what is smart, which is you found out what is the problem, what are the variables, and then built a prototype around that, got three customers as a pilot to test it out and show, let's see how this works. Let's see what needs to change after X amount of time. And it worked and they're still your paying customers today. So how many universities are you in right now? And are universities your main ideal client? Um, at the moment, yes. Um, you know, at the moment, we are with about 74, 75 universities across eight cities here in India. Universities, colleges and schools um, all together, uh, about 75 customers um, in India. Wow. Congratulations. That's incredible. What eight Thank cities you. are they? So people so, that are listening um, can, can get access. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bangalore, uh, um, you know, this is what, that's where I'm from. So we have to be here. Um, Bangalore, uh, Mumbai, um, you know, around Delhi, uh, we're in Kota, uh, we're in uh, Pune, Hyderabad, um, you know, um, a couple of regions around uh, Bangalore, Mangalore, um, and a few more. What's the largest university you're working with now? Uh, a university called Manipal University. Um, they're pretty big. They have, um, you know, medical school, they have engineering, um, a lot of uh, courses. And we're working with them. We recently signed up with them um, last year and um, it was inbound. So that's the best Good for you. Yeah, yeah, referrals. So where do you, can you offer this outside of India? Can you, what if there's a university, someone from administration at a university listening and they want to get mm-hmm. access to your platform or they're outside of India? Um, yeah, I mean, this year was definitely, um, we um, you know, were in the process of working with a couple of universities overseas. Um, we had a couple of inbound requests from Southeast Asia as well as from um, UAE. Um, but because of the current uh, COVID uh, situation, um, we're waiting it out, um, you know, before we kind of um, get, get to it. Um, yeah, how has that affected? How has that affected your business since, you know, attendance is one. You know, how much mm-hmm. food they're eating. How has your model shifted, or how are you playing offense rather than defense during this time? Um, I think with COVID, um, what we've realized is um, we've been able to kind of pivot uh, and kind of, uh, you know, in a good way. When I say pivot, what I mean is we've been able to utilize uh, Space Basic. Because of COVID, there's been accelerated growth with existing customers. So what I mean by that is existing customers kind of use it not only in their um, dormitories, but also uh, within the entire university maybe communicating uh, so on and so forth it's it's easier um, you know versus a traditional system um, besides that we've also see we've also we also see um, you know different use cases come uh, uh, come up so we had a university that has a, ho- a hospital reach out to us so um, in the hospital they've been using space basic to communicate 
in terms of, um, you know, with, with nurses or COVID doctors on duty or, you know, regular doctors and so forth. So that, that's, I think, is, is, is a great use case there. Um, that's a great idea. That, Any medical yeah. institution can use this. Any large entity that has a large number of attendees, for example, or participants or Absolutely. customers, Absolutely. sounds like they could benefit from this. So outside of just attendance tracking, what other data do you provide? A communication. So it could be announcements. It could be a two-way communication. It could be um, you know, polls and surveys really with COVID, you know, for students who are coming back to stay in dormitories when, when you know, they have to come back to class. Um, they can send surveys in terms of uh, where have you been, where are you coming from, have you had any contacts, so on and so forth. Uh, we're also providing this to um, government entities here in Bangalore where Space Basic is being utilized to communicate and to send out surveys about sanitization in private, densely populated housing communities. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've been, you know, seeing um, usage in not just a, a, a typical um, university housing, but also in the surrounding uh, community of densely populated housing. Amazing. It's amazing. It sounds like this pivot, like you said, is for a good thing. You're going to offer up your platform for additional customers outside of just the university atmosphere, like hospitals, for example. This is incredible. Right. And... Um, so how do you feel you found success? I mean, there's got to be other companies that were trying to compete with you and trying to get into the universities. Mm -hmm. So when was that moment that you found success? I think, um, you know, one thing that we did really well was um, due diligence and working very closely with customers. So we follow a rule in Space Basic, which is if beyond five customers ask for something that's not there, um, we need to validate it with uh, maybe another 20, 30 customers to see if that's really required and will they pay money for it. So that's another important part. So when we, when we build something for even our pilot users were paid customers, that's how we know we're solving a real problem. And that was important to us. So I think that has been, uh, and, and we've been able to achieve the scale with, um, you know, relatively smaller team. And um, that's because, you know, uh, we've, we've, we did the initial, um, you know, due diligence and, and customer feedback. Uh, we still do that. Oh, and, and that's very important for us um, in, in, for business as usual. So I think that's probably one of a key element that has played, uh, played a good role. And then what was the single most important personal attribute that you believe got you to where you are today? Um, I think that's um, just not giving up, really. I think it's, it's just keep going. You know, I think as entrepreneurs, that's just something, you know, regardless of the outcome, we just have to believe in um, the product and believe in our customers and their feedback and the market and just keep going. And I think that's what I did. A relentless perseverance. Absolutely, yeah. Was there a time you felt felt like giving up? Um, I wouldn't say giving up, but, you know, just tired, really. You know, you just, like, step back and, like, you know, you have these days when you're just like, gosh, I'm so out of it, um, you know. Um, and we have those moments. Initially, um, I had a lot of people tell me that it was a stupid idea, um, you know, and, and for me to come back uh, from Australia to India to start this and kind of, like, really move back in with my parents and, you know, kind of start from scratch. 
um, I was always told that, uh, you know, I was, I was told that it's, it's too niche and things like that. But again, trusting your gut and kind of like really backing that up with enough um, validation, I think has, has definitely helped in this process. What would you advise someone in that situation? Like, what do you do to get yourself out of those moments when maybe you're doubting yourself, you're doubting the idea, people are saying this isn't going to work, it's too niche. What advice, what did you do and what advice would you give others that are feeling that way? Um, well, I think, you know, it's, first of all, it's important for you to believe in uh, the product. It's really important and believe it in a way where, and I'm, I'm going to say this again, where I say you have to back it up with validation. I could be thinking something, but the market could be saying something else. And the customer who you're asking to use your service could want something else. So there's a complete mismatch there. And I think that's what happens in most cases. So I think to be real with yourself, to be real with what you're doing and, and, and building that. And I know that it's, it's, it's a process. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very draining process, but it's a beautiful journey. So you just have to like sit back and re get ready to get your hands dirty and do the work. And enjoy you know, the ride There's no along magic the way. sauce. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> and I love that advice. It's like fall in love with the problem. Don't fall in love with your idea. Because if right. you fall in love with the problem, you're going to be willing to adapt and listen to the market. But if you fall in love with your, your solution or your idea, you might be blindly heading in a, toward a trajectory that's not necessarily what the market needs or wants. Agree. What's something maybe along your journey that was your biggest lesson that maybe you wish you had learned sooner? I think a lot of my lessons had to do around hiring and around, um, you know, kind of team building. Um, it was more, I think for me, it was a little culturally as well, because I've worked predominantly in, in Australia, I've never worked before my, my job in Australia, and then I moved straight away to India. So, um, you know, expectation management and kind of like team building and, um, you know, just hiring in general. Um, I think um, that went to a more processed, um, you know, w with a lot of processes now than it used to be. So I think a lot of my lessons had to be with effective hiring and KPI driven outputs and things like that. So for sure, hiring. How different was the culture from Australia to India? Um, I think, you know, um, in India, it's, it's great in a way because there's so much diversity. People are really excited to work with. And, and there's a young population, like most of the people who work uh, today at Space Basic are, you know, freshly out of college or, um, you know, or started their careers really with us. Um, but with that also comes uh, molding and also comes mentorship and, you know, expectation management and things like that. See, in Australia, people start working at a very young age, um, you know, as soon as maybe after you get like jobs, you know. Um, but in India, the culture is you have to, in mo like most of the time, have to kind of, you know, graduate at least with an mm. undergraduation and then get a job. So most of the teaching that happens, happens at that age versus people already come with a, a professional mindset uh, in, you know, uh, because it's ingrained by working uh, jobs uh, earlier on. But in India, that has to kind of like 
develop at that point. So I think that way, um, you know, it, it was it was a, a little challenging for me uh, to understand that. And then we had to move it out to really outcome driven, performance driven, KPI driven, um, you know, um, working styles and, and, and cultures, uh, basically, with, with respect to jobs and outcomes. Yeah, it sounds like you moved from a professional mindset, hiring versus a student mindset, hiring. I mean, it sounds, the Australian right. culture sounds similar to the US. I mean, I think I had my first job at like 11 years old. And so you're, mm-hmm. you grow into this culture of having your first job, having multiple jobs, you know what it takes to deliver results. Whereas my student mentality is much different. So how, what did you do differently? It sounds like you added KPIs, but what did you do for your own training? How did you learn these things? Um, mostly, I think, uh, with mistakes that you make, for sure. Um, I think your experiences are your best teachers, but I also have a great team of mentors who really helped me with this entire process. Um, self-learning, of course. I love reading books. I love watching podcasts and, and kind of, uh, you know, kind of watching uh, a couple of like uh, tutorials or videos. Excellent. So yeah, sorry. Sorry about the network. Um, no, it's okay. <laughs> Completely understandable. Yeah. I know you have uh, hurricanes over there towards tornado right now going on right um yeah i mean there's a bit of a cyclone because of um you know the cyclone that happened up north so i think there's a bit of a ripple effect so So speaking of um mentors and maybe the courses that you took the tutorials what's something you use to help learn this so one, what is the book or podcast that helped you with the hiring process and building this culture and managing this student mindset of a team? And who were the most pivotal people in your life, your mentor, your coach, to get you to where you are today? So I definitely think my um, co-founder, um, you know, uh, uh, Indunavar, she is definitely a, a big influence for me. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, for her to have already um, you know, been there, done that really in a way too, and kind of really help with the whole process. Um, you know, um, I think uh, that is helps with, you know, uh, first time entrepreneur mistakes and, you know, pitfalls and things like that. So she's been extremely helpful and kind of uh, helps me with uh, just like, sometimes we just need people to brainstorm and to kind of um, you know, talk about certain things that happen on day-to-day basis. And then you have your aha moment. So I think she's been extremely helpful with strategy and to kind of really hear me out through the process. Definitely her. And also, you know, being a woman entrepreneur and having a woman mentor is, is also, uh, you know, in a way to, to connect. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really been very helpful. Yeah. How did that, transition into you managing the student mindset in Bangalore? Uh, where, was there an issue with um, insubordination or authority from, from your aspect? Right. So, you know, when I was in, a, when I was working for my previous company, um, you know, I would, um, I, we would have it all structured and I liked to be organized just generally, um, but that's not the case all the time. And um, I never had a culture see where I had to be monitored. Um, but in certain cases, you do have to. 
So when you're a, a company that is growing and, and you have you don't have a hierarchy, it becomes a little bit difficult to kind of manage everybody individually. And it's counterproductive, if you ask me. So uh, a lot of my time would drain there and there, wouldn't, there would be a, a, you know, less of productivity. So we had to kind of downsize and really think about who are we hiring and, and you know, um, and it had to be a really outcome-driven approach. So that's how we kind of changed it to an outcome-driven approach uh, versus uh, just picking based on, um, you know, past experiences and things like that. So it's less associated with the person giving you the command. It's more of like, did you hit your metric, your KPI, your key performance indicator or not? There's a great book about this. I mentioned this uh, previously. It's, game cha- it's been a game changer for our hiring process. It's called The Who by Jeff Smart. It's uh, okay. the best wow. hiring That's book I've ever read. It's absolute best hiring book I've ever read. And it walks you through step by step, like what words to say in an interview, what words not to say in an interview. So he's very explicit about why you can't mm-hmm. say certain things. Like, for example, when you're interviewing them, you say, when we talk to your mm-hmm. previous employer, how will they rate you on a scale of one to 10, for example? Most people say, if we talk to your previous employee, just changing the word if to when dramatically changed the accuracy and honesty of the applicant. And so he, show, he goes into all the research mm-hmm. behind this and everything. So changing one word in your interview can make all the difference in how CEO should always be the one interviewing the applicants. It should never be a hiring manager, an HR person. And he goes into why that is. And, um, it's a most important role, as you probably witnessed. The CEO needs to always be recruiting because you need to be not only motivated, but you need to be motivating. And especially now with cultures being so important, companies with being more transparent, they really want to see who's the leader of this company and what's their vision and what's the trajectory And how do you instill that message in your team of where you're going? How do you instill the vision and the culture that you, you set forth? Um, I think what we do is um, we have, um, you know, we have our, our goals set in our, so we have our, you know, weekly goals, we have our um, quarterly goals, so on and so forth. So we, every, we start off um, with the, the, annual growth plan and where we are and where we were last year, same time, um, you know, and kind of talk about uh, how we're influencing people. Um, One thing I love to do is I love to take my tech team out to meet our customers every once in a while, because they get to see uh, the people who are using what they built. And that really motivates them to, uh, and kind of really, I've seen, you know, they get so excited to actually see people um, using their solution because they're usually they don't know right they're, they're building it for somebody and they would think that it's being utilized in a certain way and um, I've, I've had cases where they've come back and tweaked a little uh, more uh, of what they initially built because they were um, you know witnessing user behavior firsthand and I like to do activities like that because I think it's important for them to know who they're building it, what kind of influence they're having in their life. So I think that's really helped with. um, I love that. That is an amazing idea. I mean, you're, because a lot of people, 
have you ever seen that picture where it's like the sidewalk around the grass and it says user design and then you see that humans actually take the shortcut <laughs> across the grass and right, now there's a yeah. dirt path in the grass and it says user experience yeah <laughs> so sometimes yeah. the user design doesn't always match the user experience and it's not their fault it's sometimes they're they're not with the user they're behind a computer and you actually thought of a brilliant idea which is bring the customer or bring the team to the customer and show them how the user is using the product they just built yeah i think that that's a very powerful um you know i think that's been a very powerful approach uh, how did you come up with that idea um, you know, um, actually, it, it was by chance because we, um, you know, we're, we are a t- initially when we started, we were a team of like four or five people. And um, we also needed the tech team to come in to kind of um, check out if there are any um, issues with, with the customer. Somebody said, hey, I can't get through this. Can you guys help me? So we would end up doing tech support ourselves and sometimes on site as well. Um, so, um, you know, that we saw was very uh, helpful for, for um, somebody who built it to interact with the customer. So as we got bigger, I still followed that because I definitely have seen productivity increase there. Sometimes we uh, end up in these situations where we learn from just a happenstance, unique experience. And it sounds like you did that. It reminds me of when we have to be scrappy, being a early entrepreneur, early startup, What's something scrappy you did to hustle that maybe you couldn't have revealed when you were first starting out, Madhavi, but now you can reveal that it's later on? Um, I think um, probably, you know, um, what we would have done is we would have probably had, uh, you know, same people for tech support, same person for, um, you know, uh, for for the building the application and, and sometimes even customer service. So, you know, we have, we've had that where we just kind of end up using different titles and names, but it kind of is, you know, the same person really ha- handling multiple roles. So we've I've done that. that in the past. I've heard that <laughs> yeah. several times. Like, hold on, let me get the uh, director of finance. <laughs> and you're the yeah. same person hey, on the other hey, end of the phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That happens mostly on emails. I think it's e- easier on emails sure. to kind of get away with that. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. So, Madhavi, yeah. thanks yeah, for sharing. That's a part of the process. <laughs> We're going to transition now into something I like to call the under 30 seconds round. I'm going to okay. fire off some questions and answer mm-hmm. them as fast as you can. Okay. First gotcha. thing that comes to mind. Ready? Mm-hmm. One, what is the book you've gifted more often than any other book and why? Um, the lean startup, because I get asked a lot, a lot of times, how do I start something? How do I build it? Um, I, I've read that book so many times and it's already helped me get a head start. So definitely the lead startup. Great book, Eric Reese. And also show, that now speaks to your point of how you validated the customer first before mm-hmm. you went and built the prototype Correct. and then you yes. iterate, iterate, iterate. Correct. Number two, what's one of the best investments and one of the worst investments you've ever made and why? Best investment definitely has to be my company. So all my savings that, um, you know, I stacked up while I was working in Australia straight went to Space Basic. So that's been my best investment so far. Um, Worst investment, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, when you're younger, you just buy random things when, you know, uh, when you really look back, you're like, gosh, I could have put this into something else, maybe the stock market or something like that. But yeah, 
Yes, ladies and gentlemen, and you youngins out there, make sure you're investing early. What's Absolutely. the most impactful thing you do in your morning routine and the most impactful thing you do in your evening routine? Morning definitely has to be meditation. So I picked that up. Um, um, I, I've done, I mean, over the last one year, it's definitely helped me. So it has to be meditation. Um, evening, um, you know, I try to um, get some steps in. So in the morning, if I don't have time to meditate and work out, I try to get my, um, you know, um, my steps uh, in the evening. So uh, most, most days it's evening. So yeah, before I go to bed, I have to get that in. Is there a certain type of uh, meditation that you use? And with regard to the steps, where do you do them? Are you just jogging in place? Oh, I'm on the treadmill with my phone on. <laughs> I'm just like, trying to get, you know, <laughs> I try to do some calls on that too. So, you know, uh, if I'm lagging behind, I get that covered there. So, yeah. Um, but um, no, meditation. I used to do guided meditation before, um, but now I think I can, um, I've stepped away from guided. So I'm able to kind of draw that concentration span a little longer without guided. So that's been really helpful. Good for you. And if someone's listening and they want to start meditating, what would you recommend they start with? Um, I used to use the app called Calm. Um, Calm. You know, C -A -L -M. It's That's a good one. C-A-L-M. It's crisp. So it's got a couple of seconds to a minute to a, you know, a longer kind of trench of time. So it really depends on how you like to get started. Awesome. Pretend you won the Peter Thiel Fellowship and you were going to get money to start a business instead of go to college. <laughs> What's the very first thing you do to start your new business? Um, I'm Indian, so I can't not go to college. <laughs> so <laughs> probably okay. I still have to go to college. Yeah, I still have to go to college. But um what would I have done? Um, I don't know. I think I would have probably started something similar. Like I've been very passionate about the education space. So I would have probably started something similar much sooner on 2223. Good answer. And last question. What's something you never knew you needed? Um, patience. <laughs> mm. I think um, I've, I've learned that um yeah patience really i'm, I'm not very I'm, it's an acquired trait i'd say um i think like most manelians uh, we want it we want it now you know but it actually uh, it's something that it, it's, a, it's a good trait to have definitely for an entrepreneur patience thank you so much for being here today madhavi uh, before you go what's next for you what's the next big goal or milestone or bucket list item you want to achieve um, I think uh, for me, um, I definitely want to reach a million users and impact their life with Space Basic. Um, that's definitely, uh, you know, a goal for us. Um, it, it's something that we wanted to achieve this year. We'll see how we go with COVID, but that's definitely, you know, that's that's um, the biggest thing we want to do um, in the immediate future. We also want to be in, um, you know, different countries besides just India. So we'd like to see that through America, um, you know, UAE and Southeast Asia, some uh, areas of interest. So we'll see how, how we do that. But um, yeah, these two things definitely on the top of my list. Well, if you are a school administrator or university or hospital, you know where to go, Space Basic, and where do listeners go to connect with you directly? Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn um or on emails too so i think um either would be good 
please go connect with Madhavi. We'll put her link in in the show notes. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here today. This is Madhavi with Space Basic, who makes sure they're tracking the data for student housing, for medical institutions, for anyone that needs to track large numbers of people coming into their institution. We learned so much today, how to adapt to a new culture, how to hire properly, how to set forth KPIs and your vision. Madhavi, thank you so much for being here today. It was such a pleasure. Thank you, Phil. Such a great pleasure talking to you. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Have an amazing day. Thanks for joining us today. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Who do you think would benefit from hearing it? You can make an impact on their life by sharing it now. Before you go, I encourage you to tell us your favorite part of the episode in the review section. Now it's time to level up. Level up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.